Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, this is uh, our second pandemic edition of the show. Uh, once again, keeping appropriate social distance. We are not in the same room, but we are very much together in spirit. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Doing great. Now, <laughs> now that we got this technology working, <laughs> that can really set me to a bad mood, I got to say, but I'm, I'm yeah. back to good. And you know what? We got some positive uh, feedback last week about our change in technology. We got a little better auditory fidelity here. Some sound, the sound's gotten a little better as we've changed from recording in Zoom to going to Zencaster. Yeah. So you are 30 miles away from me, roughly. Uh, You've circled the wagons with your family. Uh, Allie and I are here in downtown Franklin. You're in Murfreesboro. And our guest is already with us, Christine Dente. Christine and Scott are not that far away, north of us up in... uh, Bellevue, uh, Tennessee. Yeah, Bellevue, Tennessee. Hi, Christine. Hi, Nate. Um, Yeah, so let's check in on the front end. How's it going in this, what is at least temporarily, a new normal for all of us? Yeah, how's this affected you, Christine? I mean, your normal versus this new normal for the time being? Well, 15 or 20 years ago, it would have been a huge effect because I think I was raising my kids and still on the road as a musician. But the last few years, I've been home a lot, a lot, and I love it, and not much has changed. (laughs) (laughs) One good thing is being able to write more. I've been writing a lot with my blog and a book. Um, The saddest part for me is not being able to hug my kids and my grandson, who is nine, ten months old. So that's been the the biggest change for us is we are all, my family is all social distancing. Uh, We do hang out on the back patio sometimes without hugging and touching. So not too bad. Could be worse. Wow. Yeah. You know, our life really hasn't changed. Allie's life has not changed all that much. Uh, Allie, to her, you know, the, the, the perfect day is one that she doesn't have to go out or see anybody. So <laughs> she's she's really digging this. This is cool. And soon she'll uh, be on her porch and enjoying her, her view from her porch. That's right. We have been spending some porch time. Uh, my activities have been curtailed, but I'm still taking my daily walks. I'm still walking with guys. It's just that we walk in different parts of town and talk by the phone, but at least I get that lifeblood of daily conversation and talking with the kids and the grandkids by FaceTime. So Yeah, I was going to say, uh, how has virtual connection gone with meetings from what you've heard? Are more guys connecting that way? Oh, I'll tell you what. The Samson meetings, the online Samson meetings are experiencing unprecedented growth. We've had a ton of new meetings start in the last month, including uh, one hosted in Italy, uh, an Italian language meeting. Uh, And attendance at the existing meetings is at least doubled and in some cases tripled. So I'm so grateful that we got the virtual meetings off the ground when we did and we were ready. And so there's at least a vehicle for uh, 
guys to connect when we are prohibited from meeting in person. Nice. Yeah. How, how's it been? Is is Scott working more from home, Christine, or is he still heading off to the studio since he could do that without? That's a great question. Well, the digital age and the current circumstances has been great for digital musicians, and Scott has not gone to the studio in a few weeks, but they're still working. He and his business partner are creating music with other people in their own digital studios, and they pass digitally music. They pass the music around, and you know maybe this singer will sing on a pre-recorded piece that they normally would do in person, but he can sing in his own home studio and then pass it back to be mixed some other guy in California to mix it. So it's just amazing how the work is still getting done, even though people aren't in studios together. So I was curious because uh, so often when somebody retires and they start, you know, just staying at home full time, that becomes a tricky thing for marriages. Like, (laughs) so I think a lot of, of folks are all of a sudden experiencing that uh, so what, what's the dynamic been like? Is it, he's got his own space upstairs, so not too different or has it been, uh, have there well, been surprising it, things, good or bad? There are some good and bad. There's some ebb and flow. Like I tend to be an isolate isolator anyway, and Scott tends to want to move toward me. And so sometimes we're doing this funny dance around the house where he's moving toward <laughs> me and I'm moving away. Uh, usually at the end of the day, though, when we have dinner together, we catch up on what each of the other has been thinking about or doing all day. And our house is big enough where if I need to go into a room and write, I can do that. So, yes, it, it has been tricky in the sense that our personality foibles are definitely blaring a little bit more than usual. You know, one thing that's uh, different for us is uh, Allie and I kind of had this well-established pattern that that uh, – you know, we put in place over the course of, you know, 20 years of recovery where some of our best interpersonal time uh, would happen when we'd go out to a restaurant and uh, have a couple drinks, have dinner and play cards and talk. And that's how we did it. And now you can't go to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, but we have a dining room that is seldom used. It's, you know, that's where everybody comes for holiday dinner, for family dinners, holiday dinners, that kind of stuff. But we typically don't eat in the dining room. So for us now, the dining room has kind of become our restaurant. Hmm. And so uh, two, three times a week, um, we'll have dinner in the dining room and play cards. And uh, I've gotten some... You know, I'll cook up pretzels and try to make it almost like a pub date. Nice. And yeah, and and then we kind of find a way to have the conversations we would have if we were at McCreary's. That's anyway. Great. That's how we're kind. I of love fake. that. We're kind of faking it that way. Yeah. No, and that's <laughs> I, I was just talking to a husband about this that he. He can do a date, just set up some space outside in a different spot, put a table, order some takeout from somewhere nice, put candles, use a tablecloth, just make a date. It's not mm-hmm. like you have to stay in the routine. It just takes some creativity. I know there's a lot of parents that are also dealing with uh, that whole new level of having kids at home all the time and also trying to find some creativity for that to keep kids from going out of their minds 
Yeah, that can't be easy if you're not used to that. Yes, everybody's learning what it is to be a homeschool mom. Right, Chris? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I had to laugh. We were watching the the show they had two nights ago, Sunday night, um, and Elton John was hosting all these different artists po- uh, playing their songs from their homes. And he was introducing, and he said, this next artist, well, all you people that are homeschooling now, you don't have to worry because this next artist was homeschooled her whole life. And here she is, Billie Eilish. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> she's awesome, and she's so talented. She won a bunch of Grammys this year. But there she is, slouched on the couch <laughs> with her brother. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is the right kind of commercial for homeschooling. <laughs> so being that you are such an experienced homeschool mom, do you have any recommendations for how to keep kids from getting bored while at home and different activities they can engage in? I just think it's probably what people do naturally instead of thinking that it has to be schooling. There's so much about education that doesn't have to do anything, have anything to do with schooling. It's the natural things that we do, like read books to each other or have a conversation about something that we just saw on the television or walk the dog and talk and see what comes up then. So, I mean, it sounds pretty basic. And I think it's what everybody instinctually knows. Now, as the days drag on and you're trying to figure out if your children are going to, you know, suffer somehow from their lack of schooling, that's when you have to get a little more creative and see what's online. And there's so many resources. So that's a that's a great tip, though. I think for people that haven't homeschooled, that feels like a lot of pressure. And oh, yeah. it's okay, especially because, you know, this is this is a temporary feature of life. It's not going to destroy children's minds if they aren't getting, you know, prime education because you don't have experience as a homeschool educator. That's but right. Just to roll with it and do your best. Yes. I always said to my kids, we're not homeschooling, we're home educating. And all of life is learning. And so if people can at least see what's happening now as an opportunity for being part of their education, I think that would help a lot. See, totally not the topic, but you're the right lady to be on for this one. (laughs) That's great. On a semi-related topic, I saw a great meme the other day that made me chuckle and I passed it on to my my son and daughter-in-law have got little ones at home. <laughs> and it said, if there is a baby boom nine months from now, it will be all firstborn children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. yep. Yeah, I, I actually, I feel sorry for Elijah because, you know, he's been homeschooled for a long time. When we were in California, he was at a charter school. So he was homeschooled three days a week in school, two days a week. And he finally decided, okay, with his personality, he wanted to go to the public school. So we wrestled through that decision and off he went in January. And then, <laughs> boom, he's back at home doing homeschool again. Yeah. Wow. So wow. that's that's all right. At least he has more contacts now to be calling and Facebooking with or FaceTiming <laughs> with friends. There you go. So we're talking about the news and information today because, man, I've talked to a lot of people who have so much fear and anxiety and sometimes anger or outrage, Um, and it's just being fueled by a lot of what they're reading. Uh, Well, it's mostly what they're reading because they're in their house just clicking away. So before we get into specifics about the, the virus and what's happening now, 
just wanted to talk about the news in general. And Christine, you've you've had an interesting journey with this that, that kind of started. I wanted to look up how many years ago it was that you and Scott were on the podcast where we started a little rabbit trail conversation on this. Oh, well, how many years ago was it? I don't know. I forgot to look it up. Was it before the year 2000? Oh, for Pete's sake. I don't right. think so. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no. that's where my story been. starts. That's where your Maybe. story starts. Yeah. All right. So I was an expert. It was 1998, and the world was ending in two years. And I had to find oh. out how to avoid the downfall of our computers not knowing how to switch to the four digits of 2000. So I was wife 2K. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the beginning of my career. <laughs> nice. So I love information. I've always loved information, but it can be a double-edged sword, as we all know. And for me, that's when I really learned a lesson, when nothing really happened the next day, 2000, January yeah. 1st. And so since then, I got been... go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say I, I was sucked into that swirling vortex of hysteria myself and actually went into a Y2K business. It's one of my most shameful um, uh, you know, parts of my story is that I sold whole grains, you know, nationwide, to, you know, Eddie, because the world was going to end. Yeah. Yes, I bought in. believed it. I did. Absolutely. So, yeah, so did I and so did many people. So I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to uh, be part of the solution if you believe it's part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. I still have one bucket of the whole grains that you sold me, Nate. So I'm wondering if I can return it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Yeah, and, and I, I do have to say that that experience the sting from that experience and kind of this sense of foolishness and uh humiliation that i felt when it was over and i felt like i'd been a fool and i'd been a dupe i'd been duped and i duped others made me reluctant to accept even the more sane warnings around the current virus mm. i was slow to come to the table mm -hmm. i feel that too so, but, but Nate, you're already switching into the, the other topic. So let's, I'm sorry. let's yeah, okay. go back. So not the beginning of your journey, but in our first conversation, I'm actually searching for when that was right now while I'm talking. So if I start leaving words out of sentences, it doesn't that's matter. Why. Uh, no, I'm just curious now. I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it, but <laughs> you are naturally this info hound kind of person. You, you want to think through things. And we talked about the news and where the lines were between it being helpful. Well, here's here's a couple of things we talked about, if I remember correctly, and you can add to it. Um, we talked about first that I don't have the capacity to care deeply and emotionally and engage with every tragedy in the world. Like, I just don't have that capacity. So if I'm receiving information on like, oh no, what's happening with politics in Bangladesh? It doesn't mean that shouldn't be cared about, but I have a limited capacity for what I can carry emotionally. And historically, we lived in pretty disconnected, isolated villages or our cities, which is why you loved gossip when somebody came from out of town and talked about the world at large. But generally, we put that emotional energy into the people that were in our community. Mm -hmm. 
and beyond that, the news itself is choosing what I care about. The news never reports on everything. It's very limited. So if I use the news to start being the thing to elicit my emotions, then I'm kind of surrendering those choices to somebody else. And I don't know why they're making those choices. Why is that particular thing the thing they think I should care about? So that was the beginning of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that impressed me a lot. And that definitely affected how I began to look at my news consumption. And I began to realize that I I would feel really sick at the end of a news fest, you know, like clicking on all the links. <laughs> like, why do I feel so sick? Well, it's because of you're ingesting all of this bad stuff and it's going to affect me physically and spiritually and in every way. A news fest. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the really cool thing is when we, when we start thinking about it as a choice, uh, I had friends that were missionaries in Kyrgyzstan for 10 years and all of a sudden I did care about what was happening in Kyrgyzstan and what was mm-hmm. happening with their government because I knew these people and I cared about these people. And so it became a prayerful activity. It became something that we could get involved with in supporting and knowing how to support or Elijah being from Ethiopia. I care about what happens in Ethiopia. So I love, and beyond that, just within our churches, the amount of hard stuff that's happening in people's lives that will never make the news, but that we can be involved in face-to-face and skin-to-skin, like that opens up so much opportunity. Uh, I even wonder, in some of your relationships with some Muslim folks, did that change the types of things you were looking into and trying to understand that you wouldn't have otherwise? Oh, yes. I had a neighbor from Afghanistan who uh, made me want to learn more about you know, her country and the history and what had happened there and what was happening there at the time I knew her. So change the direction of what the mainstream media, if that's what we can call it, is handing you. Yes. You just started making alternate choices for yourself. Yes. Well, first, the last actually four years ago was when I really just stopped engaging in the news, which my kids, my kids had just, you know, become young adults. And they said, wait, mom, now that we finally care about current events, you don't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't have the conversations with them that I'd always wanted to have with my kids because I, it was part of the whole election, presidential election campaign. And, and I just, I felt like I couldn't make a good choice and have a, a strong opinion. And so I decided to spend my time completely away, unencumbered by the news. And I got more creative at home with writing and doing other things like that. So now I'm slowly eking, letting it eke back into my life, a little news here and there. Mm-hmm. But I'm very careful. Mm. Were there any mm. fears when you disconnected from that? Like, what if, yes. what if I miss it? What were the fears? Well, I was afraid I would just not be informed, which I hate the idea of not being of being a dumb person, not informed. Like it's very important to me to be smart and, you know, up with what's happening. But, and so that was a little death that I had to die, which, you know, it's not such a bad death to somebody I let go of that doesn't need to be part of who I am anyway. Wow. Wow. 
Well, you know, I, I think that sometimes our search for the news, for some of us at least, it's a desire. We, we have this deep belief that um, we can find safety in information. In uh, yes. Uh, right? So it's, Absolutely. Uh, so I feel unsure and unsafe when I don't know what's going on and can't predict what's going to happen next. So it's, it's this drive for security as though um, there actually is safety there. And at the same time, on the other side of that fence, the people who are dishing out this vast volume of information slash, um, I don't know uh, what what they get. It, 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 it seems as though every story has an agenda, right? Um, well, they have a vested interest in keeping me afraid. That's right. Right? I'm looking for uh, reassurance and safety from people whose agenda is to keep me in a state of anxiety so that I'll I'll keep coming back. It's a vicious circle. I think that's key to the first layer of of encouraging people with a very tangible tip is to consider the source and, you know, decide what the agenda is, if you can, behind what you're about to, you know, dive into. Right. Right. Clickbait is such a great phrase. I, I don't like a lot of new words and phrases <laughs> that are used, but clickbait is huge with news where if you look in a headline and there are terrifying words being used, like yesterday the stock market crashed and it's kind of putting it back to earlier crashes. Well, uh, I'm sorry, that's not what's happened. We're not seeing runs on banks and all of that. But that word crash makes me feel like I have to click on this because there's information (laughs) in here that's going to affect my life. Yes. And so I think just when I see a headline that's purposefully using words that are meant to terrify me, I already don't trust that asshole who wrote that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, the, uh, the purveyors of this kind of sensationalist news, they actually market test the headlines. They'll send the same story out under four or five different headlines and track which one gets the most clicks and then, you know, move everything. to So, so it's all very artfully designed. I didn't know that. Whatever will draw the strongest response is what will wind up as the headline. Mm-hmm. In other words, people are yeah. being paid to yeah, conspire and- against your mental health, friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and well, I may not get the same. It, it gets very sophisticated with micro-targeting. I may not get the same headline that you get if uh, that news source, uh, you know, has has. Uh, determined through all the massive reams of data it has on me that my particular political views or social views are different from yours, I will get a version of the story that is different from the version you receive, or I will get an entirely different story than the one you get. Wow. Nefarious. Nefarious. It is. Then there are the more subtle ways, and it's not always about fear. Some of it's, I think, just pure voyeurism. 
And that's uh, where the entertainment aspect comes in because like I used to look at the Drudge Report page and it would have this, you know, three columns of headlines. Right. And I wanted to stick with the news, but then the very intriguing headlines were like, oh, I think I need to know about what this mother did to her son with fire. And, and all yeah. of a sudden I'm reading this horrific tale, but it's just because the headline made me think I've got to know what this is about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to be careful about doing the click on those types that are pure to me, entertainment or voyeurism and or just you know to want to know the sinister side of life right. might not be some information we need to take in it's it's gladiatorial yeah. entertainment mm, yeah well it's, said uh and if if i can when i see that and i'm as apt to be curious about all of that as anybody else but if i can think this will cost me emotional capacity in real life relationships, uh-huh. can I do anything about this? And and this was a part of our conversation years ago as well, Chris. That if I make a decision, yes, I want to go down this path, and no, and I want to make this uh, people I'm praying for and thinking about uh, that I can do that without even knowing those people, but that there's a purpose to it and not just mm. grim entertainment. There you go. Well, Nate, we're, uh, I, I don't know, you had mentioned putting putting the song that I recorded late at night last week up. Uh, n- never, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 I think, I think you should. So, yeah, you, you sat down in a, in a fit of inspiration and peak mm. and, wow. you know, that's. <laughs> not, not really, but occasionally when the, the the family goes to sleep, I think I'm going to write and record a song in the next four hours between like ten and two, and just see what comes out. And uh, yeah, so a, a song called "Outrage Porn" came out from the news to you. I'll throw the lyrics in the uh, notes below, and we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Take my hand 
just listen I've got news to take you to extremes and passions your real life never back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We've got Christine Dente with us today. This has been a Dente month. I think Scott was on, what, three or four episodes ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I listened in on that. That was fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Am I, I allowed don't... to listen in on that? Well, you... Was that off limits? Are, are women allowed to girl, listen? but I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only girl who listens in, let me tell you. <laughs> so I want to throw out um, something that's tricky. Just because facts are true in something I'm reading doesn't mean the information is true, because all facts run through the interpretation process of the person writing and my own interpretation process. So there's two filtering processes hitting facts that can then make it untrue or only partially true. What do I do about that? Well, that's a fine mess we're in. <laughs> that is a fine mess we're in. Well, they call it um, confirmation bias when you only partake of things that you already agree with, right? Yeah. And uh, that's part of the filtering process, I guess. Is that right, Aaron? Uh, yeah, for sure. And then the idea of the echo chamber is also the same idea that we're just kind of all regurgitating. Like if we're in a so-called bubble, uh, we don't take in other ideas that create cognitive dissonance. 
we're just staying comfortable inside our own echo chamber with other people saying the same things. So to be aware of that is the first step, to be able to step back from ourselves and say, first of all, do I have any biases that I can at least admit to? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, what is the echo chamber that I succumb to? And maybe um, am I willing to be challenged out of my uh, into some kind of cognitive dissonance where something I hear does not fit the model that I already hold? So I don't know. Could you give an example of maybe how that might happen? Uh, yeah, can, can we – let me add a layer to this and – Listeners, I think you can go back. It was probably a while ago. I believe we talked to Science Mike about this, uh, that USC had done a study uh, giving people information that challenged their core values and saw what it did to their brains. And what they saw in the shortest summary is that people's prefrontal cortex shuts off and the amygdala lit up the, the wow. fight or flight because they felt personally in danger uh, because of this information. So mm-hmm. they were no longer thinking rationally, which meant that the better the information that was coming at them was, the more they would dig into what they already believed. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what's happening just at this, this biological, neurological level. So, Christine, what you're talking about is how to kind of develop a mind that stops being afraid of being challenged, that that right. no longer feels like a risk. Well said. So, yeah, yeah I think that um, we have to have, in order to develop what, what I think is necessary for this kind of conver- for helpful conversation to, to uh flower and for us to be able to get a wider view of what's really going on and sustain a wider circle of acquaintances is we have to expand our um, tolerance for ambiguity. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to say, I don't know everything and I don't need to know everything in order to be safe. I don't have to be right and not everything I believe has to be right and true in order for me to be safe. My, I don't find my safety and my security in what I know or in the rightness of my opinion or even, dare I say, the rightness of my doctrine. Um, but my security is in the awe, you know, the omnipresent, omniscient, eternal God. Mm-hmm. And I have, uh, my cognitive abilities are so limited and my view is so small um, that it is presumptive of me to um, act as though I understand the clear parameters of truth and falsity so much that I can't entertain any uh, opinion that challenges my own. Yes, I totally agree. That's that's wonderfully said. But boy, you are talking about an incredible amount of humility because even when Christine was talking about these biases, I have these biases because they're right. So <laughs> humility, and, and isn't it interesting that when Scripture calls us to humility, it is not a fruit of the Spirit, 
It is an act I am told I need to engage. Humble yourselves. So, oh, wow. Ah, yes. The, it, it is one of the spiritual acts that I enact that nets a spiritual result, as Dane was prone to say. Yeah. But, but that takes very purposeful engagement. It's not easy to humble ourselves, especially with information that we feel is keeping us safe. Exactly. Or if we're trying to, if we feel threatened, if we don't have an answer or an opinion. And that's kind of the, be- right. like the beginning of this. We talked about what the problem is, the problem we're trying to solve, um, or at least think through, is not how do we get an answer from all the news sources, but how do we form an opinion? And I think that's the humble approach is we're forming an opinion. We're not necessarily getting a hard, cold fact because that's the point at which we know we're probably wrong. That is a great <laughs> critical difference. That I love that, the forming the opinion. So the first thing you mentioned, Christine, was actually reading or listening to things that are other than what we already believe. And we can do that from within the safety of our homes without being in a debate or an argument where we feel like we have to have a right answer. Um, And I think the only way I can do that, I don't know about other people, in a way that's helpful for my brain and forming an opinion is to realize that the people that hold the opposite view of me are not idiots. Yeah. There's reasons they think that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially in a country that is is kind of divided down the middle towards some pretty extreme opposite thoughts, that many people can't be utterly stupid and deluded. I agree. And that's, you know, if we believe as strongly as we do in certain things, if our opinions are as strong as we feel them to be, then certainly we can understand that someone opposite in our beliefs could have the same strength of belief. We have to honor that. Yeah, and I think the other dangerous thing, and this happens when uh, those who have something to gain by keeping us divided really turn polemical. Mm. Uh, The danger comes when when we not only stop listening to those who hold an opposite view, but we demonize them as bad people. Um. Because they think different than uh, differently than we do, uh, and it it was uh, it was a huge revelation to me. For example, to find when I found um, kind, loving, generous, helpful, knowledgeable non-Christian people. <laughs> mm-hmm. What yeah. what what yeah. did that do for you? Is or, 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 and, and when I got help from a therapist who was not a Christian. Well, I don't know what so, truth they could have led you into, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess to clarify, then you're speaking from a very um, I don't know what would you call it an Orthodox Christian or Evangelical Christian? Yeah, kind of sure, mindset? sure, sure. An Evangelical, sure, an Evangelical point of view. Mm-hmm. And so the Evangelical point of view, which I've been steeped in for many years as well, right? What I did with that was I, I, as I had a conversation with, say, a, a neighbor who wasn't a Christian, 
Right. As she was speaking to me, I was forming all of my answers and pushbacks and reasons mm-hmm. about, you know, from a Christian point of view. And what I've been doing lately is I am listening and finding freedom to not know, to yeah. not have to solve, and to not have to be an apologist for the Bible anymore. And it's been so great just to get yeah. to know people from that perspective. Mm. Yeah. There's uh, another way that is helpful when we engage people and information that are other than us. So if we follow this piece of advice and say, okay, I want to be less afraid of that, so I'm going to read and listen and have conversations, I think we also can find common threads of deep agreement if we mm-hmm. get past the topic. So take, uh, for instance, a, a somebody that has a Bernie Sanders democratic socialist kind of idea or a person that listens to Rush Limbaugh every day. You think, oh, they totally disagree. No, they don't. If you take a person that's on a more, uh, a far liberal side, what do they actually care about? We want to see that people are taken care of. The person on the far conservative side also wants that. They have two totally different ways they want to go about it, but their reason for their passion is the same. Now, I've known uh, a lot of people on the left that think that's not true. There's an interesting book called Who Really Cares by Arthur Brooks about who is giving their personal money and time and blood. And you see that, oh, the conservative side, they do care about that. They just want to choose to do that. But that creates a conversation that says, okay, we both care about the same thing so we can honor each other and talk about what these differences are and why we believe this is the solution to the common problem. So that's just an example, but I think almost every issue, you could even, we won't get into it, but even in the abortion conversation, there are common threads between pro-life and pro-choice people that create a helpful conversation where both people understand a perspective differently. Sure. Right. Yeah. So engaging other information and also looking for those common threads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on that. I think that type of learning takes a lot of work. And I think many of us are unwilling to put the time in. And so that, that makes me think of what a, a my daughter's husband talked about last night because he's he's in the information gathering kind of job position and he says what he's learned is that you choose a specialty of something that you're interested in and then you dive deep as opposed to trying to go wide with all the things you're interested in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for example if you really want to know what the immigration debate is about if i did i would have to spend days and weeks before i got enough information to form an opinion that I felt was, you know, valid. And so I can't do that. I won't do that. I'm not interested enough. But he was saying that if we find that one um, interest, say, in the news or what, whatever kind of thing where you're going to do a lot of research, you know, to dive deep then, and then you will find that the sources that you begin to trust, you can maybe go off on tangents with them. You can trust what they've learned in other areas. 
as opposed to you doing all the research all the time. It's just, it would be exhausting to me. Boy, yeah. this, this goes back to humility, though, because this is the short-term mis- missionary disease. People go to some country <laughs> for two weeks, and they come back furious that nobody else cares about that country, and everybody right. should care about that country the way they do. And when we do those deep dives about things we're passionate about, that's kind of how we end up feeling, right? I can't believe you're not into immigration, Christine. What's wrong with you? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you all the reasons you're awful because of that. And it mm-hmm. goes back to that judgment place, and humility is back out the window. Yeah. With the deep dive thought, let me throw out another idea. The amount of time we engage the news, especially like you said that we tend to read and listen to what we already agree with, that amount of time is pretty extreme. Uh, I, I have known many people that will listen to at least three hours a day of AM broadcasts that are just creating meditation, right? Meditation is just focused thinking. And so three hours a day, five days a week, wait, let me do the math real quick. 39 hours a week they're spending. Well, you sound like a preacher. Nope. nope, (laughs) Nobody's even, because my math is so bad. So 15 hours a week they're spending in deep meditation, that will affect how we perceive the world. And how we perceive the world becomes the reality we live in. So where do we find a line between what's appropriate and inappropriate, or at least acknowledge that we're handing our brains to somebody else Mm -hmm. to create our reality. Like, what are your, both of your thoughts on that? Go ahead, Nate. Well, uh, a couple of things. I do know just, you know, personally, Allie and I, one of the healthiest things that we've done in the last six months was we cut cable um, because we were getting just uh, an awful lot of we were falling prey to the daily newscasts that are really opinion fests where opinion makers interview each other and uh, you know and that you're just scrolling through topic after topic whatever's hot gets fanned for a while and so uh, you know we're on Netflix and Amazon Prime right now and are not getting a huge uh, you know daily dose of uh, yeah, especially, you know, political debate every day. Um, I had another point that I was going to make, but I got so lost in that one, I forgot what it is. <laughs> so I was talking about people focusing on how it changes their reality just based on the amount of time spent saturating themselves in one specific kind of opinion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that that abs- absolutely is the case. Um, and with that, I'll pass it to Christine. Well, that's interesting, and I, I think it's very cool what you and Allie have done because it's you're choosing and you're you're being aware of what you're yeah. taking in, and that's huge key for all of us to just have that stepped back, slightly wider view of what we're doing or not doing. And mm. so, and what you were talking about, Aaron, about the the saturation in with someone, you know 
three hours listening to AM radio or whatever. I don't have that experience and I know some people do that, but I have a positive spin on what can be good about that kind of saturation. And that is listening to podcasts and Mm -hmm. having the choice to sit with someone for longer than a five minute blurb and learn. And so, for example, you know, Science Mike on the Liturgist podcast, they, they've, I've learned a lot from them. I've learned so much from Jordan Peterson's podcast. Uh, millions of people listen to an unabridged Joe Rogan, and like it or not, there's more information that is not being filtered through layers of advertising or, right. um, you know, it's not evidently, pu- obviously it's not pure information for, you know, to listen to an hour podcast or a three hour podcast, but most of these are fairly unedited so that we can kind of get the gist without an editor having done it for us. Mm. And it, it gives a lot of ideas that we can then go research and form our own opinions on. I think if it's mm-hmm. a, if it's a good podcast, it's not usually about forming conclusions like news sometimes is. Right. Or, or that <laughs> so we grim can, entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And so to hear a long conversation, I stole this idea from Jordan Peterson. He pointed it out as we switch from kind of the television media news to people having the choice of podcasts. Um, we're, we're finding out that people can actually listen for more than five minutes or two minutes and yeah. form some opinions. And I think that's wonderful. I also love that it's a lot of conversations between people who aren't the experts. Um, mm-hmm. Like none of us, uh, I was a journalism major for one semester in college before I realized I would not make a good journalist. Um, it was more fun to just make stuff up, which would mean in this day and age, I'd be a great journalist. Uh, but, you know, n- nobody who's listening, their opinions are no less interesting or valid. These are just things that we've thought through and we've experienced. And so I think that's where we as the audience of those podcasts get to uh, feel empowered by that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. So again, we come back to choice. What are the choices I'm making? Where is the time spent? And recognizing that, uh, boy, Scripture has a lot to say about meditation. What what am I putting my focus thoughts into and how that will affect my life? So it's an important choice to make. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's. I'm. I'm looking right here at my list of things I want to throw out to you guys. I guess I'm mostly curious at this point. What do we have any recommendations for one another's lives as we're in this this time where there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty and probably a lot of belief that if I just get the enough information, I'll stop being afraid. What should people be practically doing with any of this? That's a great question. I, I asked a friend of mine that question because he uh, has very strong opinions about what's going on, and I wanted to know how he gets to that point and what he does. And so he uh, texted me yesterday about 14 points he made, but I won't tell you all 14 points. But these, he has a few great really workable tips. And his first one is, my first rule is wait 48 hours on believing anything. If something seems... Ooh. 
If it seems loony, I make a note and 99% of the time it's refuted within 48 hours. So that's cool. Like, yeah. That's cool. Give that's yourself a great time. Now it's hard to do in this, in this era right now where things are unfolding so slowly and fast, you know, like we want the updates, but you know, if it's a really scary headline, give it two days and see if it, it sticks. Hmm. Yeah. That's, I love it. All right. Keep going. You've got the practical tips. What else you got? All right. Well, he says that if a source or an outlet tells an outright untruth, he blocks them and he purges that source. So, you know, if you, if you can identify something like that, they're out. You can't trust that source, right? Oh my gosh. What, what sources are left at that point (laughs) in the mainstream media? I guess on Twitter, maybe, uh, is he yeah. talking about that? No, no. I, I like blocking all news outlets that, uh, let's apply that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he goes on to get very, very, um, his bias shows in a lot of these things, but yeah, he does know that, um, a lot of people just read a headline and they run with it and retweet, repost and share this and that. So I would encourage people not to do that themselves, not to just take a meme that they think is funny or, yeah, I agree with yeah. that. Because possibly the research wasn't done on the meme, if it's true. Unless, well, well, what and, a- unless there's a cute cat picture <laughs> in it, then it's probably right. Yeah. What, what amazes me, uh, I'm kind of a stickler about actually reading the article. What, what amazes me is in this world of, you know, scientifically tested uh, headlines for clickbait capacity, how often the headline is uh, unrelated to or contradictory to mm-hmm. what's in the article. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. It makes me so mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. That was bait and switch. Clickbait yeah, yeah. and switch. Clickbait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. We've added. Well, my friend also said he reads uh, the source. Like he will, he read the Paris. What is it called? The Paris Accords. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he read the current bill that they just passed. He read the entire bill. He he goes right to the document, and uh, I'm very impressed by that. I, I mm-hmm. few of us take the time to read the bills before Congress and the the treaty things that we disagree with. We just let somebody else do the research for us. So that is definitely a challenge to everyone yeah. out there to say read the source document. Man, I had a a history teacher uh, in college for two semesters that taught from the perspective of here's the information. It was a church history class. But he would go back to how did we get this information? So during certain times of persecution, uh, say a time when Protestants were being persecuted, you were getting a lot of kind of propaganda information about these awful Protestants and why we should kill them or vice versa. And knowing the sources and going back to what both of you have said, like follow the money trail, like who has something to gain from this mm-hmm. helped you process, oh, this piece was probably very true because it benefited what their narrative was. This part's probably pretty suspect, but just knowing the sources, because just because it's a group of scientists or experts or teachers doesn't mean they don't have their bias. Mm-hmm. And so what's behind that? Yeah. And I think it just, it helps us put information <laughs> in the right categories. Who funded the study? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. right. How far Which, back can you go? 
which which <laughs> which doesn't through everything. It doesn't make it yeah. wrong necessarily, because that can be another yeah. extreme, right? Oh well, if anybody yeah. is paying for this or making money off it, then it's not trustworthy. That's not necessarily true. But yeah. if I know, I can put it in a looser category of okay, this is interesting information, but it's something to be considered, not something to change my beliefs over. Mm-hmm. So again, if we're forming opinions, right. this is the information that we need. What else did you learn yes. from him, Christine? This is this is good stuff. Well, just uh, the idea that there's an agenda, like kind of building on what you just said, whether it's a financial agenda or you know some ideological agenda, and it might be obvious at the start. It could be from the name of the website; it tells you immediately what you're dealing with here, which is fine. Then you know. But usually, agendas are hidden in some way. I always look at the advertisers and see, you know, like if I click on a serious news story and then I see all these Hollywood half-dressed people, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little, I'm taking them a little less seriously. Mm. Maybe that's yeah. bad judgment, but um, the ads and the other stories are what tip me off to what type of magazine I'm looking at online, for example. So, you know, just awareness of agenda. It's hard, not always easy to find, but you know, like you said, there somebody's paying for the news. N- news is not free. Mm-hmm. It feels free yeah. to us when we scroll around the internet. But whether it's advertisers or some kind of foundation behind it all, there's something behind it. Note to Google. Send all algorithms of modestly dressed advertisers to Christine Dente, and she'll believe you. <laughs> I might take you seriously. Yeah. Oh man, that's mean. Uh, no, you I'm... made me. I'm so one dimensional. <laughs> uh, that's that's the worst description of you ever. What were you going to say, Nate? Well, I I want to follow up. I, I feel like we've really done this uh, topic a good service. I think we've covered it well. But when we just just got started, I think I heard Christine say she's working on a book, and that has aroused my curiosity. I want to know what she's writing about. Oh, that's very sweet of you to ask. I have my my blog uh, post is called "Finding Life in the Bigger Story," mm. and I write a lot of small articles and essays about that idea around that idea of being vulnerable and honest. But the book I wrote, Nate, is it's a it's a short novel about an older woman who um, she's a retired teacher, and it's called "The Woman in the Willow." And she's a retired school teacher, Catherine Hathaway, and she's struggling with voices from her past and a new intruder from next door. And so she's in her backyard haven that she's created, surrounded by an eight-foot fence and an eight-foot gate. And my question (laughs) when I was writing this, my question was, will Catherine be able to keep out the invading neighbor girl and all the old fears and new hopes she stirs up? Or will she learn to open and close like her gate and go with the flow? Oh, and that fits nicely with the theme of the conversation we've just concluded. So when is that going to be available for people to read? I'm hoping to self-publish it in May of this year, 2020. All right. And you can do that from shelter. I can. (laughs) Hey, this actually gives uh, another piece of inspiration for people, because when you were first working on that Book, you made a commitment as far as times of writing, and it was for one month, correct? 
Yes, there's a thing in every November called uh, National Novel Writing Month. And so I did uh, November in 2018, I started and I wrote 50,000 words. The challenge is to write 50,000 words within the month. And that was the beginning of this book, which is now finished and almost ready for publication. Wow. While people have extra time, did you find it helpful to say, okay, I've, I've got this chunk of time and I'm committing to every day spend this time doing this. How can that translate to people having extra time right now, making those kinds <laughs> of goals? What did that do for you? Goals are great. And uh, the second thing that we need to remember is that things need to be put on the calendar to get done for most for most people, for me anyway. And so scheduling is another good thing. Maybe that only works for certain types of people, you know, like people like me. I love <laughs> lists and tasks and purpose. Uh, but, you know, if people want to get creative in ways they never have given themselves permission to, this would be a good time to set aside those hours and just say, what is it that I never indulged in that I would like to try? Writing, songwriting, mm-hmm. even if you're just learning an instrument or singing more, I think it's worth trying. Yeah, or even projects around the house to say, mm-hmm. I don't have to spend an entire day doing this. I'm setting aside an hour and a half every day, and that's all I'm going to spend. So I look forward to it tomorrow, and I'm just going to chip away at this. Excellent idea. Well, there is a writing assignment that I would love to suggest to our listeners. Now that you've got time, you got time to burn there at home, sit down and write us a letter. Let us know what, uh, what thoughts this episode or any other recent episode has prompted for you. We'd love to hear from you. Send us that note at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Want to hear from you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Nate and Aaron. I love talking about things that stir my my blood and make me want to ask more questions and learn from other people. So I'm honored that you invited me along. And it's been a joy to have you on, on the podcast. All right. Well, I guess this uh, pretty much wraps up the hour. My My ticker here says we've gone about an hour, Aaron. Uh, so until next week, then I'm Nate and I'm Aaron and that's Christine. That's right. (laughs) And we are your pals on the pirate monk podcast.